The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak knew the protocol was one of the more pressing issues when he took the hot seat last October. He now finds himself in a position of having to get a deal over the line while facing a backlash among some Eurosceptic Conservative MPs and an unhelpful intervention by former PM Boris Johnson. So is it simply a case of being damned if he does and damned if he doesn't? For more on this, I'm joined now by writer, communicator, consultant, strategist, mental health campaigner and to give his latest title, number one podcaster, because he's co-host with Rory Stewart of the Rest is Politics uh, podcast. Uh, good morning, Alistair Campbell. Pat, lovely to be here. Now, let's talk about Rishi Sunak's difficulties. Last night when we were uh, talking to, to Bertie Hearn, he said Rishi Sunak should make haste slowly, don't leave it too long, uh, but don't do anything until he has all his ducks in a row, to quote Bertie. Does Rishi Sunak have his ducks in a row? Um, it doesn't feel like he does. And I think there is a, a danger of, I mean, deadlines have played an important part in this whole process, but I think sometimes there is a danger of, of forcing a pace that isn't necessarily there to be forced. I don't think that the, the public are all sitting around north or south or in, in Great Britain thinking, you know, when's he going to sort this? When's he going to sort this? I think that he has to, look, I think the, the, the credit I'll give him is I think he's taking it seriously in a way that I don't believe Johnson ever did. Uh, I don't think Liz Truss ever did. I think he's tried to change the dynamic between the UK and the European Union. And he's trying his best to get something which will appeal enough to the unionists uh, to get the institutions back up and running. Um, Whether he's there on that, I doubt it. Um, I was after our event last night, Bertie and I went off for a a dinner with IBEC and uh, somebody you will know, Deirdre Heenan, was there, a well-known academic. And she was making, she, she, she got very, very emotional and quite angry. And she said, we in the North, she said, are currently collateral damage to a never-ending civil war inside the Conservative Party. Mm. And that's, to me, what it feels like. And I think Rishi Sunak underestimates his strength in this. I think he can face down these people, but he's got to summon up the courage to do so. The notion uh, that they could uh, swap prime ministers yet again. Exactly. Is that uh, just an unthinkable scenario? Well... <sighs> I would have said 10 years ago it was unthinkable that Boris Johnson would ever be Prime Minister. I would have said it would be unthinkable that Liz Truss would ever be Prime Minister and that she could do the damage that she did to the economy. I think you said to me uh, on this programme, as she was about to become Prime Minister, that um, Liz Truss was kind of barking mad. I don't think I would have said that in those terms, (laughs) but I think I would have said... Maybe maybe I was inferring. They are electing a complete disaster and they know it. So I don't think you can rule out anything. But the other point Deirdre was making last night is why should we have to continue to suffer the likes of Theresa Villiers, Bernard Jenkin, Kate Hoey, all these people telling us now what we should be doing because of the mess that we're into because of the things that they were arguing for in the past. And I think that, look, Jeffrey Donaldson's got a really, really difficult call to make. To be fair to David Trimble, sadly no longer with us, but David Trimble, when push came to shove, he made a huge leap and it really drove the process but forward. But paid the political price he in his own party. He paid the political price. He paid a political price, absolutely. But I think that the... the I, th- I think this can be done. I think that Kiers, Rishi Sunak does have uh, political authority, and I know he won't enjoy the idea that Labour votes would help him get this over the line, but it's there for the taking. And I think that some of these Conservatives, you've got Suella Brabham and the Home Secretary muttering about threatening to resign... Face her down. Face her down. Otherwise, he's going to become a prisoner to these people, just as Johnson was, just as 
Theresa May was and just as, as Trust was. So I, th- I think Sunak mm. underestimates how much power he has because of the point you've made, Pat, that for them to get rid of another prime minister, I yeah. think you're then talking about the end. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I think the end of the Conservative Party would be a great thing for the country, right? But I honestly think he underestimates how much strength he has. And fair play to him. I think he's going through the hard work. He's trying to get this thing done. Uh, where I agree with Bertie is I don't think he needs to rush. But equally, but another point Bertie made last night was that the British people will start to think, a bit like they did with Tony quite often, why on earth is this the thing? Why on earth is he focusing on this the whole time rather than you know jobs and strikes mm. and the health service and all the other things that are going wrong in Britain? Um, but what happens after the protocol is organised is that trade improves uh, with Europe, Hopefully. which in, in turn feeds into jobs and so on. So you've got to get the obstacle eliminated first before Absolutely. you can progress. Absolutely. It's hard for the ordinary man in the pub at the corner to maybe get that point. Yeah, but part of, I think one of the things that's missing from our politics at, at the moment is is the importance of, the, the if you like, the educative piece in political leadership. And this event that, that Bertie Heard and I are doing later with IBEC is actually about trying to make sure the Irish business community understands its role in promoting the reality of the Good Friday Agreement, the reality of Ireland's relationship with the EU. This is, these are things that you cannot take for granted. I think if you think back, 50, so we're coming up to 25 years to the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. If you think back 50 years, right, that if you if you would have said 50 years ago, half of this period, we're actually going to have relative peace and prosperity, mm. okay? That was a big call to make, but it's happened. Now, yeah, because we joined the EU when the troubles were already underway. Absolutely, absolutely. So don't, don't, and you know, you were talking last night about a generation that is growing up. So like this morning, you and I hear the word Omar in relation to this mm. shooting that took place last night. Straight into my head came the Omar bombing, one of the low points of the whole time that we were in power. A lot of young people today won't have any sense of that because it, it feels like a, the past, and it is the past, but it's not that far away. And I think unless there is this understanding of using the past to understand the fragility of this whole thing, and for politicians, frankly, that you know Northern Ireland now, I mean, I, I couldn't give you the exact figure, but it's a very high proportion of the time since devolution that the institutions have not been sitting. The Politicians have got to find a way of fixing that. Now, what about the DUP? I mean, they have their uh, seven tests. Um, you know, one suspects it's not about seven tests. Mm. It's about maybe being uh, number two to Sinn Féin in the executive. Maybe it's to do with the dilution of their sense of Britishness uh, if all of this happens. I mean, their, their seven tests fulfil Article 6 of the Act of Union is the first one. And that it reads that all parts of the United Kingdom forever from and after the Union shall have the same allowances, encouragements and drawbacks and be under the same prohibitions, restrictions and regulations of trade and liable to the same customs and duties, import and export. Mm. Now, we're going back to 1800 mm, for that. And you can, you can, look, you can see that and that does go to the heart of it. But I think your second point about Britishness is kind of where this is, is really at. And look. The seven tests, I completely understand why they've set them out, and I completely understand how that is, in a sense, of their way of saying these are the things that matter to us. But ultimately, the politicians, including Jeffrey Donaldson, including Rishi Sunak, including the Irish, including the Europeans, they're going to have to make political judgments. And they're also going to have to... The, the, the wonderful thing about political language sometimes, you said last night Bertie Hearn was the master of constructive ambiguity. 
that there's enough in there. There's enough in there for yeah. people to be able to, to at least bring themselves together around a system. There, there is going to have to be some role at some point if you're going to protect the single market, which is the, the number one objective of the Europeans. There's got to be some sort of role for the European Court of Justice. How you finesse that in terms of the politics of this and how the DUP, if they were to agree with it, then promote that to their own community, that's the job of political leadership. Now, one of the issues they have is that if the EU, for example, tightens up the rules on any particular commodity, um, that they would have to adhere to those rules if they want to sell into the single market. That's fair enough. But that they would also have to apply those rules to goods manufactured in Northern Ireland and sold in Northern Ireland. And kind of, why not? <laughs> you know, I keep well, asking myself, if the rules are for a better product, uh, uh, better safeguards for the public, why would you put up, uh, set up two streams, one to manufacture at a lower quality level mm-hmm. for Northern Ireland and a second line for export to Europe? Well, the point, the, you know, there is a point about Brexit. One of the arguments I made against Brexit, and I keep making against Brexit, there were, there's a part of the Brexit ideology that actually is about giving business the right to to have lower standards. That, that is part of, you know, there's a certain thinking yeah. that what I call the sovereign individual who thinks there should be no regulation, that governments shouldn't be allowed to kind of interfere with the markets and so forth. But I think that's another one where they are, look, they're laying out the ground as they see it, the things that they want. I think that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. And then you can you can dance forever around the detail of that. But I think on those seven, they, they probably know that if, the, if they are going to get this over the line, they're not going to get all of those seven met. They probably know that deep down. But they have to come to some sort of negotiated agreement. And I think the other thing I would, I would say to all of the politicians in Northern Ireland, that... The, the people there, look, we, we were talking last night to somebody about the health service in Northern Ireland. Now, the health service in, in Great Britain is pretty grim at the moment, but it's way, way worse. And that, in part, has to be because the politicians aren't there doing the job that they've been elected to yeah. do. And I think that there's a real danger they just get locked into this whole thing about all we're doing is talking about the peace process, talking about these arrangements with Europe. And, you know, instead of which, there's got to be a kind of bigger picture assessment of how do we get these institutions up and running? And what's more, there's going to have to be a bit of give, mm-hmm. give and take all round. There's one of their seven tests, which is number four. Give the people of Northern Ireland a say in making the laws which govern them. And you, you look at what happened in Brexit, a majority in Northern Ireland mm. against Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't well, screaming and shouting about uh, the democratic deficit on that particular well, referendum. Well, and also, Pat, you look at the fact that the, you talk about giving them a say, they've elected their politicians and their politicians are not taking their seats. Now, they've given their reasons for that. And I, I, I'm, I don't know when you said that one of the big things is whether they would actually serve under a, a Sinn Féin yeah. First Minister. As deputy, even though, we, you know, they're supposed to be equal. Absolutely. So, and, and one of the, you know, one of the pillars of the whole approach on the Good Friday Agreement was a genuine commitment by all sides to equality. That is the system. That is the system they agreed to. And I think there is a, this point about the people of Northern Ireland and even the politicians of Northern Ireland, I think the DUP get used by these people on the right wing of the Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. I think they get spooked by them a little bit. Um, and, and I think they'd get a lot of respect. I think Sunak would get a lot of respect 
if he faced these people in his own party down. I think the DUP would get a lot of respect. And I listen, I understand the risks. I do understand that. But I think they'd get a lot of respect if they actually just sort of, you know, did kind of take a very deep breath and say, right, listen, we've got to do this. We've got to get the institutions up and running. We've got to show that we can have normal functioning political leadership in this in this, no. in this part of the country. Unless Rishi Sunak is an incurable optimist, he must know that he will not win the next election. I mean, you can't take uh, polls uh, as the indicative of what will happen at the next election, but straws in the wind would suggest that the Tories haven't a chance. So therefore, he must know, um, I can be brave. I'm going to mm. lose the next election anyway. So let me go down with some honour. You see, I, I'm somebody who, even though I was kicked out of the Labour Party, I'm still absolutely kind of tribally Labour. And I've had enough experience of elections in the past that Labour thought they were going to win that they didn't. I think it's a very dangerous mindset for anybody to take that the next election is guaranteed. I agree with you, the polls, Labour are ridiculously far ahead. I, I actually think we're in such volatile times. I, th I find the next election almost impossible to predict. I think you'd have to put your money if you were a betting person. You'd put your money on on Labour, but I don't. I honestly don't think it's guaranteed. And I think also, just as a human being, if you're the Prime Minister, uh, having inherited the mess that's been created by your predecessors, mm. particularly Truss and Johnson, then. You, do, you, you can't face the day unless you think you've got a chance. You've got to give yourself that hope. And I, where I agree with you, I think you can be bold. I think you can stake out big things. I think you can actually... One thing I've been really disappointed with Rishi Sunak, I actually don't think he has distanced himself enough from his two predecessors. I think you should take them on. I think you should call them out. I think when Johnson came out with what you call his unhelpful intervention, yeah. I think Sunak should have just stood up and said, look, you're perfectly entitled to view. You're an elected member of parliament. You've got a platform. You've got a profile. You're perfectly entitled to do with it what you want but understand i'm trying to sort out the mess that you created and you know l just leave it to the grown-ups for a while and go away and shut up and i think i honestly think the public would hear that and they because that's what most people now think johnson's a joke in our country and yet because he's got the the platform of the ridiculous right-wing media he gets sort of anything he says he just has to sort of you know fart in the bath and it leads the right-wing newspapers so sunak i think can call that out and he can face him down and the same with trust the trust trust was out this week lecturing him about planning about the economy and about ukraine right uh, I'm, I'm looking at uh, some of the texts coming in. John says the Northern Ireland state was set up with an inbuilt veto for unionism. They could stop anything. And they still have that stockade Ooh. mindset. It no longer holds. Uh, the DUP are in denial, says John. Another one. There's no way forward while the DUP hold everyone to ransom. I don't understand the people in Northern Ireland. They have the best of both worlds on offer and they want to chuck it away. Ooh. Why are they not out marching on the streets? Well, I was, I was, at, a, I was at a, an event in Belfast a while back with a lot, a lot of, kind of uh, business people and they were they were making that point we they actually said that was the great we've got the best of both worlds here yeah. and I think that the 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 D and, and also if you if you listen to a lot of our media in in the UK and particularly in you know the London-based media you'd think the DUP spoke for the whole of Northern Ireland it's virtually the only voice that you kind of hear what do the DUP think what do the DUP think about this about that I mean and don't forget when you go back 25 years the DUP, they were outside. They weren't in that process. They were outside. And there's been an element of the DUP that has always seen this Good Friday Agreement as something that maybe they don't like at all. Now, I don't think Donaldson's in that camp at all. But I think that the politics around this are very sensitive, very, very difficult. But the court, your, your, your listener there is absolutely right. Nobody, 
should be able to hold this thing to ransom. Nobody, and the responsibility of politicians who get elected is to take their seats and do the job that they're elected to do. And if the country elects them in a certain way, where the numbers fall in a certain way, and that's the system under which they operate, they've got to go with that. Alistair, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, in studio today, and then the thank you for your contribution last night. Uh, you have a competitor aiming for the number one slot on the I podcast. Do. You know, As I remember it, Bertie Hearn and the Good Friday Agreement, the podcast, the first three parts uh, dropped today. Go to GoLoud or wherever you get your podcasts, and you will find it there, as and, I remember and, it. And you, and you will also find, find the rest of politics. politics. Won't you, Pat? I mean, I'm sure you could. <laughs> <laughs> the, the battle of, of the podcast. <laughs> Alistair, thank you very thank much you. for joining That's us well. in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.